Hey, this is Neil Mackay, your host of a Vietnam podcast. Now, before we get started on this episode, I wanted to share with you about one of my favorite affiliate partners, and that is Fiverr. I've been using Fiverr for years for everything from ordering YouTube thumbnails to keyword research, writing podcast articles, even to Canva designs and thumbnails and more. So whether you're a budding entrepreneur, a podcaster, or anyone in between, Fiverr has got you covered. It really is the go-to platform if you want to find freelancers offering a massive range of services to help you on any project. Maybe you need a stunning new logo or just a short animation, whatever you need, you can find it on Fiverr. What I love the most is how easy Fiverr makes it to connect with talented freelancers from around the world, all at prices that will fit whatever your budget is. Plus, with Fiverr's secure payment system, you can trust that your transactions are safe and secure. No dodgy people you meet on Facebook groups that disappear with your money and never give you what you want. What, that's only happened to me? As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you use the link and at no extra cost to you. As an affiliate partner, I will get a small commission if you click my link and you buy something, all at no extra cost to you. And best of all, you will be directly supporting the making of this podcast that you're listening to for free, but it is not free to make. So why we head over to somewhere that you've probably never been before. It's called the show notes. So whatever app you're listening in, if it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts or anything at all, head to the show notes, click on my special link, and then you can browse thousands of gigs ready to help you with your next project. And now, let's dive into today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to season eight of a Vietnam podcast, sharing the stories of people connected to Vietnam. My name is Neil Mackay. I've been living in Vietnam since 2016 and hosting this podcast since 2019. I wanted to know more about the people that live in Vietnam, both locals and foreigners, and share their stories. Now we talk to people from around the world connected to Vietnam. My guest today is a regular traveler to Vietnam and serial travel industry professional, bringing groups from Australia to experience Vietnam. Like many people, she's been locked out of the country since the start of the pandemic. So she started a podcast in May 2020 called What About Vietnam? To share more about Vietnam as a holiday destination and show anyone on the fence about coming here why they should visit. In this episode, we'll discuss Kerry's experience of Vietnam why it is so appealing to so many people and the future of tourism here when it reopens to international tourists again. My guest today is Kerry Newsom. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Neil. Thank you for that lovely intro. It's great to be here. And thank you very much. If anyone doesn't know, I was on Kerry's podcast recently, so make sure that you go and check that one out. We talk about the the comedy scene here in, in Saigon. But today I want to know more about your experiences of Vietnam. So when did you first come here? So I first visited in 2007 and I did, I guess, what they call the traditional top to bottom tours. So, you know, try and cram as much as you can in, in a, you know, 12 day tour starting in Hanoi and finishing in Ho Chi Minh. So that was my first introduction to the country and I was um, very impressed had to come back so I mean so that's very similar to me as well we came here much after you though I think 2015 now I'm losing track of dates and days and years but we did the the north we did the south to the north in about two weeks so share then where did you go in on that trip so we started in Hanoi and I think it was around about kind of late February, March uh, of 2007. So what I was mostly surprised about was how freezing cold it was. And we even went 
further north and we went to Sapa. And once again, I was just blown away with just how cold. Nobody told me that Vietnam got cold. Like, you know, I thought this is the tropics. What, what's the story? So that was, that was a bit of an eye-opener. And from Hanoi, then we went to Hoi An, of course, in the centre, and Hue. And I loved both of those places, I guess, primarily because maybe not as hectic. So as my first trip, I was still a little bit shaky about crossing the road and, you know, things like that. It was a bit overwhelming. And then we, we finished off in uh, Ho Chi Minh City. So like you said, we kind of did the opposite trip, but saw the same places just in reverse order. And yeah, I was just amazed at, you know, why hadn't I been here before? Why hadn't I come earlier? But I guess Bali was my biggest draw card from Australia at that time or period of my life. Well, Bali is like a suburb of Australia these days, right? I mean, it's, uh, that's where everyone goes. Well, it used to, it, it, you know, it used to be, and, you know, maybe it will come back now. I don't know. It certainly has been a very popular destination for Australia. But I think for Australians, they didn't quite realise once they started doing direct flights from Sydney to Ho Chi Minh and Sydney to Hanoi, the distance in time is about the same from those destinations. So it's about eight or nine hours to Bali and about the same for uh, Vietnam. So that was kind of where I was coming from when I was thinking, gosh, this is, this is only about the same time on a flight. Why, why don't I know about this? And in fact, I know very little about this because I think being an Australian to Vietnam, I've very much been part of what, you know, our kind of our war history had been about. So, and I can remember there was a tour guide on the bus in the trip who said, uh, I just want to let you know that Vietnam is a country. It's not a war. I just want to get that very clear right from the start that, and I thought, mm, I, must, I must write that down. I might use that sometime in the future. No, that it's so true. And it, but it, and it's something that you really only experience, I guess, once you come here, because it, for anyone from the West, whether you're Australian, British, Australia, uh, the US, you hear Vietnam, you think war, right? And then you come here and you're like, it's just so far from that. You know, you go to the War Remnants Museum, but outside of that, there's very little, anything visible from that. And the country's just moved on so far, you know. But it's yeah. funny what you said about being cold in Hanoi, because I still forget that anytime we go to Hanoi and then you look at the weather and you're like, oh my God, it's so cold. And I had a friend that just went there last week and I said, oh, how is Hanoi? And he's like, freezing 12 degrees. And, you know, here in Saigon, when it never really goes below 30, 12 degrees. Yeah. And if you go even further north from Hanoi, so if you go into Barbie Lake or are you going to Mai Chow or any of those places, it is, it is snow country. You know, it is that cold. I can remember the first day. I went to visit Barbie Lake, which I have to say is the most beautiful destination. It is just so pristine, that lake, and it's just so gorgeous. But we literally got off the little putt-putt boat after this five-hour ride on the bus, and uh, they said, oh, the air conditioning is reverse cycle in the room, so we'll turn it up to full heat. And we got under the doona and stayed there for the first day. Because the chill factor on our face with the wind in that open air boat and like we were like, I had heavy duty coats on and all that sort of stuff, but I was still freezing. I was going, I, I have to write this down. I have to have to take note of this. People need to know about this because, you know, at this time of the year, February, and there was no one there likewise, because, you know, there were smarter people than me, obviously, in the country that knew don't go to these regions at that time because you will a be on your own and very few people to look after you and b you'll you know freeze freeze to death anyway it was worth it <laughs> yeah i mean sapo is just beautiful i want to ask you more about that in a second but one thing that you mentioned there uh, and it just really uh, rings with me is you know we came here similar for you short trip you were here 12 days we were here 14 something like that and, and just fell in love with the place which is just a, a reoccurring theme for so, so many people. What was it for you then that you came here, 2007, 12-day trip, and you've been coming back ever since? Yeah, well, funny, I think 
I think it was the people that I met. In particular, I met uh, an Australian girl who she joined the tour about halfway through in Hoi An. And I don't know, her and I just clicked. And she was running a, and still is running, a charity for sponsorships for the education of young girls. And, you know, because I came from a marketing background, because I'd been in the travel industry, I was a little bit in that kind of transition stage and thinking, you know, that what next kind of question. So I was so impressed by the people and I could see the potential hospitality at that stage was very much on a growth trajectory. They were looking for quality people that had industry experience. So I just think it was the people mainly I, I could see yearning for, you know, we, we know we need education. We know we need extra advice. We want to do this right. We want to connect with the right people. So she introduced me to a lot of people. And from that, it just kind of snowballed. Awesome. And what have you seen? You must have seen such a massive change then. I mean, I'm just thinking back. I came here 2016 for the first time and the change in six years has, has just been exponential. And it's something we've touched on a lot on this podcast about the growth of Vietnam and how quickly it moves. So coming here 2007, I mean, Sapa, I've not been back since I went in 2016. And I actually don't think I want to go back because I think it would have changed so much from the experience that I had. And we can talk a little bit about the positives and the negatives of tourism and the expansion of tourism, because there's definitely both. So what was it like though, back in 2007, in terms of tourism, how was it developed? How was it, how did you experience it? Well, I think the best example I can draw for you is Hoi An. And if you know Hoi An at all, you'd be aware that there's the Chubon River that kind of runs through the middle. And, you know, that's where you see all the beautiful lanterns and, you know, they had that kind of twilight hour at night where they take people out and it's just absolutely beautiful. When I came in 2007, the other side of the Chubon River, there was nothing. Mm. There was no, there was no restaurants. There was no night markets. There was, you know, a little shack here and there. There was nothing. It was just absolutely nothing. And I didn't come back between 2007. I didn't really come back till 2013. So, you know, that, that amount of time, that whole area. So that was my biggest gobsmack when I came back was that they had developed the whole other side that had, you know, as you say, good and bad, you know, it had commercialized, but, you know, in two. 2013, it, it was still nice to see the vibrancy. You could tell people were starting to, to grow the tourism. The Vietnam National Tourism Board was starting, I guess, be more well-known and be more outspoken in the world and, and started to market to the world. So, you know, this little shanty place, this very, you know, shanty place, and my friend Linda said, you know, let's, let's go for a walk through the old town and I'll actually show you the difference. So where there's all those shuttered shop houses, they were all kind of shut, 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 closed. And uh, now they were all open and, you know, there was, there was just this new energy. You could, you could feel the pulse. It was just definitely vibrating. And that was probably the most significant comparison I can draw for you that so when people do go to Hoi An, maybe after they listen to this show, they can kind of stand on one side of the river and go, gosh, that side didn't even exist at one point and not that long ago. So yeah, I mean, it's hard to notice it in a big city, like Ho Chi Minh City obviously is developed, Hanoi is obviously developed, but it's so big, you can't kind of track it all. You just can see lots of cranes. You can see lots of hotels going up and all that sort of thing, but to try and give a stark contrast. I hope that's a good example. No, no, that's a great example. You really, because it's actually funny. So my parents visited here five years ago, like, like today, like it's coming up on my Facebook memories. And five years ago today, we were in Hoi An. It came up this morning and we were on that other side of the river. Uh, we went for 
a massage there. We went to the night market. And so I, it's interesting because you don't think about it when you're there that that didn't exist. But that's really interesting that you have seen that when it wasn't there. And then even in Saigon, you just see things that weren't there before. And you're like, wow. I mean, so we've just, <laughs> this is how fast things change here. You know, Adrian and I have just had COVID and we've been at home for about just over a week. And just being home for a week, when we first went out on the bike and we were driving around and we're like, whoa, where did that come from? Whoa, that building's gone up in a week. Like things had changed so quickly here. So the difference between, you know, and this is a question we've talked about and asked before is people who've been here for 10, 20, 30 years, the difference must be uh, crazy. So to even come from 2007, have you been back to Sapa since then? Yes, I did a, a very short stay. I actually took my husband the next time. And I, I think, I think the difference was, and I want to be careful how I say this, because you, you, you mentioned about the positives and the negatives of tourism. And I guess the first time I did see it, I, I, I didn't see the commercialization, like what that would actually look like in, in Sapa. But when I did see it, in 2000, I think it was 2015, I went, I was quite shocked because I explained this to my husband saying, oh, it's this, you know, this, this beautiful hillside highlands kind of area. There's so many beautiful locals. You'll get a real insight to some of the minority groups. It's, you know, and then we sort of got there and the township had really ramped up its commercial attitude, I guess and were jumping on the tourists as they were getting off the buses and selling them trinkets. And, and, you know, my husband said, so these are the minority groups you were talking about. And I said, well, yes and no. And, you know, they're, they're trying to earn a living and obviously this is a, a way for them to do it, but it is not representative of the whole area. So now when I talk to people about SARPA, I talk about maybe going a little bit further out of, you know, just that very small tourist area that people take the tours. And when you get off the beaten track, yes, that, that is still there. And those minorities still live as they have done for hundreds of years. And I think that's where the beauty still lies, mm. but yeah, good and bad, as you say. Well, it's the challenge of tourism worldwide. And even as a tourist myself, you know, even when I go visit places, like I remember I went to the Philippines before a lockdown, before the pandemic. And you go to quote unquote secret beach and it ain't secret. There's like a, a line of people waiting to get in and there's people everywhere. And so you see the negatives of tourism. Then you're like, but I'm contributing to this, like all of this waste, all of this construction, like I'm contributing to this, but I want to see it. And so the, the thing about Sapa that I think is really stark. So that's really interesting because you saw obviously a massive change between 2007 and 2015, I think you said. I went in 2015 mm. and I loved it. And I'm like, this is so beautiful. It's amazing. But you could see a massive, ugly hotel being built on the, it wasn't finished. I think it is now, but it should be now being built on the side of the hill. I think you probably heard about the Statue of Liberty that they built. Did you hear about this? And they had to, mm. oh, yeah. it's so funny. They had to <laughs> rip it down. And this was, this was an example of how things work here. That they were, they were ordered immediately to take it down. And they said, well, well, we need to bring the staff from Hanoi. We need to bring the construction people from Hanoi to, to tear it down. But we can't do that right now because of the pandemic and they can't travel and lockdown. And they're like, no, you need to take it down by tomorrow. And it's like, yeah, but, but we can. And they're like, no, I don't know what the timescale was that they, they brought it down. But that's just an example of things going wrong here. But it, so my point is, though, that you saw the change, sorry, from 2007 to 2015. I went in 2015 and loved it. But now I'm reluctant to go back because I think I would notice these kind of horrible changes. And this is the problem with tourism, right? Because it brings so many benefits. And you don't want to, you don't want to talk, talk it down because like you're talking about these hill tribes or these um, <clears throat> local people, it's bringing them money, it's bringing them jobs. But then you're going to have, I always find it difficult because then you're like, oh, well, it's not as good as it used to be, you know. Oh, and I've had this thing before where I'm like, oh, I wish I'd come to Vietnam 20 years ago to experience it. And this is a question I used to ask at the end of the podcast. And as we discussed it, I realized it's such a horrible, 
opinion to have because coming here 20 years ago, there was more poverty. The people had less things. So, so I'm like, oh yeah, I wish I could have come and had a more authentic experience 20 years ago, but that's a totally selfish point of view because the development for the people makes such a difference. So where do you see Vietnam on that kind of tourism kind of timeline? Because it obviously started off way behind countries like Bali and Thailand, which are very developed tourism. We talked about as well, people just associate Vietnam with the war. So where do you see Vietnam now in terms of tourism? Well, it's, it's a really interesting question because like every country, I think pre-COVID, you know, that we're talking 19 and 20, you know, it's, it's hard to compare, com- compare to what tourism is going to look like in, you know, 22 and, and beyond. That two years has changed for nearly every country in the world, their ability to forecast, their ability to plan around numbers, experiences, tours, etc. And Vietnam is no different. I mean, Vietnam was at its peak before the pandemic. Mm. It was bringing in 18 million tourists where previous years, you know, it had been sort of growing at around about, you know, 10 or 12%. But I can remember back in, you know, the era that we were talking about around that 2007, you were, you were considered a real pioneer to be going to Vietnam. Wow. How brave are you to go to Vietnam? Like, (laughs) you know, it was a real adventure tourism, you know, and I was staying in these absolutely gorgeous boutique (laughs) hotels and I'm going, Where's the adventure here? Like, holy, <laughs> they are bringing me flowers and I'm having fresh fruit bowls. And, you know, like it, this is, this is unbelievable. I just cannot, I cannot believe it. So in talking about where to from, from here, I think, I think it's going to take a little while for Vietnam to rebuild. And that will be in its hospitality industry in particular, because, you know, that, industry just got smashed you know so a lot of the hotels lost a lot of their their really great stuff and that talent pool literally had to go home go back to some of their villages and to the outer parts of Vietnam just to you know see it out Mm. to just endure it so that they could you know try and manage with whatever savings they had some hotels were able when the bans were lifted and to allow the Vietnamese tourists, so the local tourists to travel, they would, you know, be able to keep their staff on for that. But there were some hotels that were just totally geared to the foreign tourist and, you know, they got hit the worst and, you know, the recovery uh, from that, as I hear now, as we're sitting, you know, a little bit over a week away from opening up again, just the scramble to get staff back on board, to get everyone trained up again, to get procedures in place. They now got to gear themselves for extra levels of sanitization. They've got to keep their hotels in a way that they, you know, they probably, a lot of them would have, but I think about the homestays. I mean, there was something like 380 homestays alone in Hoi An. And they actually had to stop giving out licenses to homestays because there was just too many of them. Now, where are they going to go and how are they going to manage in the future? People love them because they got to stay with a, a family in a lot of cases. Some of them were like mini boutique hotels, but, you know, the family run operations where you stayed with the family in one of their bedrooms, you got very cheap accommodation, but would the sanitation level be up there? For COVID now? Probably not. Would they have enough English skills to navigate themselves around that now? Who knows? So there's, there's a lot going on to get back up there to that 18 million. I hmm. mean, foreign tourism from a GDP perspective was about kind of 10 or 11%. So whilst people, you know, say, oh, you know, tourism is kind of everything to Vietnam and whatever. It actually isn't, Mm. you know, foreign tourism is a big part, but, you know, with 96 million, I think 
you know, that's a fair few bodies to move around the country <laughs> yeah. in its own realm. And as you, you know, we talked before about Tet, you know, how crazy there was no social distancing going on <laughs> then. And, you know, them wearing masks for Vietnamese, that's nothing. They've been doing that for, you know, trillions of years. It's, it's, it's not a big deal. But for the foreign tourist and for the health authorities and for uh, the Vietnamese government to manage this on a CDC and WHO level scale so that they win the confidence of the traveller, because I think this is actually what the big thing is now, is this, is the traveller going to feel confident coming to Vietnam when, you know, they had such a bad cases in 21 and when everyone was kind of coming out the other side. So I think they're, and I know lots of people in the industry, as you, as you would guests, and everyone is working very, very hard behind the scenes, all your airlines, all airports, because there's quite a few small airports you'd be aware of around the country. So, you know, getting staff back on for those, you know, getting tour guides back, you know, the ones that really knew their way around could speak multiple languages, getting them back in vogue. And as I said, getting sanitization products into the hotels, getting them trained on them, you know, it, it's a big job and there's, there's going to be some big changes. But I'm very confident that Vietnam will bounce back because it's just got that resilience. It it just has the ability to turn on a dime <laughs> and come back with better places, some better experiences, some more thoughtful experiences, some more diverse experiences. So, you know, I think once again, it's going to be a discovery tour, Neil, and yeah. yeah, I mean, it's like one of the things you mentioned there, yeah, Vietnam is definitely resilient. And as we mentioned already, things happen quickly here, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad. Um, but in this case, it will, it will probably be good that they will come back. What a, I, I hadn't thought about the scale of what a mammoth task that is that you've just described to, to turn that back on. Because you are right. And so being here for six years, we witnessed that peak tourism of Vietnam the last couple of years before the pandemic. You know, we were living here and then we were shocked by the amount of our friends and people that we knew that were coming here for a holiday. You know, people we hadn't maybe spoken to for, for years, but, you know, still connected on Facebook. And it's like, well, you're going to be in Vietnam. Let's catch up, you know, from my wife's side and my side. And we, we in that last year before the pandemic, we saw so many friends and it was incredible just to see these people that we hadn't seen for years. And But you could see that that was part of this tourism boom. But it's interesting what you see as well, because I think that's almost a very Western-centric point of view that many people have, that they think these poor, quote-unquote, countries in Southeast Asia are just totally relying on tourism and can never survive without tourists and they're going to fall to pieces without tourists. But actually, I mean, yeah, there's, like you mentioned, there's 96 million people here, massive export and manufacturing. Tourism is a big, big part of it. And Vietnam has had to sacrifice that industry almost, almost entirely. Um, well, foreign tourism, obviously, anyway. But the country still can survive without it. But what I find interesting as well, you're talking about how just having to bring back all this talent. Even before the pandemic, I had read this article about how you know, Vietnam is similar to Thailand, massive five-star tourism industry. And, and you see that in Phu Quoc especially and, and anywhere big five-star hotels. They need talented chefs. And there is an absolute, this is the things you don't really think about. They do, there's a dearth of trained five-star resort chefs. And you think about it, most people that probably work in kitchens here have learned from their parents and grandparents. And, and that's amazing. But when it comes to, you know, working in a five-star kitchen. So I think I read... This was, again, pre-pandemic. They, they needed something like 10,000 kitchen staff, trained kitchen staff, and, you know, didn't have enough. And I, I know that people are taking stride, strides to, to, to fill that, but it just shows you how much needs. It's not as easy for someone like you <laughs> booking trips to be like, yeah, all right, sweet, everyone, we're going back to Vietnam. Let's go. Like, it's not going to be <laughs> that simple. So how do you see that going forward for People like yourself, people booking tours, is there going to be um, disappointed people coming here and then realizing that it's not what they expected? Or <laughs> anyone, if we're watching on YouTube, you can see Kerry's face. If you're listening, <laughs> Kerry can explain what that <laughs> face was she just made. 
Well, like, you know, I'm kind of the girl that likes to keep things real. And in the sense that, you know, I don't want, I want, I want people to go there with very managed expectations because just how I've described the ramp up, you know, you don't kind of open the gates on the 15th of March and go, woohoo, everybody's <laughs> up to speed. Everybody's got, got, got their goods together and it's all going to run perfectly. That would be just an unrealistic expectation. I mean, we're still waiting for the immigration site to change the visa status. So we even know, and it's the 7th of March. And yet I know people really who love Vietnam and can't wait to get back. They've already booked their flights without even seeing visa status will be. Mm. So, you know, there is going to be diehards like me and people maybe who follow my podcast or Facebook pages or blah, 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 that will go, I don't care what it's going to look like. I want to get back there and support the country. They've obviously got friends and people they want to catch up again. And, you know, they want to be part of the reboot. And I think, you know, there is going to be uh, a lot of people that do come back that want to build that back up to a healthy, sustainable level. Because as you described it also in 2019, it was going a bit crazy. <laughs> like there were buses that were parked out of Hoi An. They couldn't actually, they stopped mm. letting them into the streets because they would just, they just couldn't fit. They couldn't handle the people, their luggage, the whole, whole schmeal. And, you know, they had to push them to an out and then they had to kind of run them in little golf carts, you know, into the town in, in small kind of acceptable levels. Mm. So the town could cope. So somewhere between that and, you know, 2007 <laughs> would be a great happy yeah. medium. And I think, I think from a provincial level as well, they're trying to look at the the areas in a, in a very holistic way, a much more sustainable way. I mean, I was talking to a resort, uh, a wellness resort, and one of the things that they did during the pandemic is they planted 2,000 trees. So, you know, he said, my staff wouldn't have had time to do that. You know, Adam out of the pandemic, we're doing something that's positive, that's something for the future. You know, we kind of came up with activities like this to, to, you know, to be part of that regeneration. And I think, you know, when you ask me, you know, what am I going to say to people, you know, come to Vietnam? Of course, I'm going to say come to be Vietnam, but do your homework, you know, and don't read, there's so many, and I'm sure you're seeing this as well. If you read all the different newspapers, they all take a spin on the same story. They just change the headline. They mix a few words in the first few paragraphs and they spin a, a different version of it. Hopefully it's the eye-catching one that, you know, people will go, oh gosh, did you read that about, you know, Vietnam? Oh, did you see that? Oh no, I read that, you know, Vietnam is actually going very positive. It, it depends on who's spinning the same piece of information. Mm. And I think, um, getting quality information, working with travel agents that you can trust, tour operators, you know, people that have been and had a lot to do in the country, I think will be a premium in the future because you do, you want to cut through all the nonsense, you want to cut through the crap and you want to get to what is the real deal. And, you know, coming to Vietnam has some caveats and will have some on entry you know, around travel insurance, you know, have you ever had to show your travel insurance when you've gone to an immigration counter no, to say that before. you've got travel insurance that covers you for COVID for $50,000? Yeah. Yeah. No. So, you know, how are they going to want to see that? You know, how has immigration decided on a worldwide scale that, yeah, that's, that looks right. <laughs> and the, you know, I, I've got no idea. So yeah. we're still waiting for those procedures. The airlines are still waiting for those procedures. The airports, the people that run the airports, their staff, you know. So there's going to be a wee, wee little time there <laughs> of a few, you know, chinks in the armor ironed out, a few bugs, 
you know, I think it'll smooth out in uh, a very short amount of time mm. when they realize it's just a bit hard and a bit unrealistic. And, you know, by, you know, I'm on the track, it'll, it should be all streamlined. That's my hope. Well, it's funny what you said there, because we literally had this conversation last night. So as you said, it's March 7th, as we're talking, this will, this will go out next week. And the, it, the borders are due to open on March 15th. But what you said, and we've had this conversation, we had this conversation yesterday. Uh, and this again is a, a classic thing in Vietnam is decisions get made without uh, much communication that I can see anyway, or hear about or read about as to how things will happen. And so we'll be like, okay, so borders are opening to tourism on March 15th. And what you said there exactly, this is the conversation we had last night with someone else was, but visas aren't open yet. So tourism is going to open, but nobody can get a visa. So what does that mean on March 15th? Visas suddenly open. And you probably well know as well in Vietnam, it could be March 14th at 6 p.m. at night. Uh, a decree will come out saying that tourism is not opening yet. It's going to happen on the 1st of April. Then the 1st of April will be the 15th of April. So it's really, really difficult to know exactly what's going to happen. And then that just makes it so difficult for everything. Like you're saying, what do the airlines do? What do immigration do? How do What's the process for sh for um, showing your your travel, your tourism? Like, there's so so much <laughs> that needs to happen before we can just welcome tourism back. But it does seem to be on the right path. So hopefully, it will come back. And the other thing you touched upon, and I wanted to ask you as well, I would hope so so much, and I'm I'm buoyed by what you said you said there. But I hope that can be applied more across the board, is to have more sustainable tourism because. It's been really obvious here in Vietnam, obviously uh, a country that's come out of war, come out of poverty. People want to make money and it's been like a tourism has been a bit of a gold rush. There's not been much forethought going in, gone into a lot of development. So, I mean, have you probably been to Moine, Fentiet? They've pretty much destroyed the beach there because they've just built right up onto the beach. I've been down, where was I? I was recently, can't remember right now, but I was somewhere else. They concreted right up to the beach. So now it's all just eroded away. And then the, what you mentioned about Hoi An, I, I remind, reminded me about these, you've probably heard about these $0 Chinese tourists where they come and stay in like a Chinese-owned resort. They spend all their money basically paying the Chinese resort and almost come to Hoi An and spend $0. They spend it all on the, on the Chinese companies. So what do you see going forward? Do you think Vietnam will take this pause, this opportunity to go, okay, let's do tourism better? Or will it just go back to a gold rush and it's just going to be build, 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 build. Let's not think about anything else. We, we need to make money as quickly as we can. Well, it was funny. I was talking to a friend who lives in Da Nang and he said, oh, tourism must be coming back on. He's an Aussie. He said... Must be coming back on the bills that look like that they were going to kind of fall over or just be kind of monuments on the sand. They're all, they've all come to life again. So tourism must be back on. So like, I'd like to think that there will be a new attitude moving forward. There's a, certainly a lot of talk about it and there's a lot more or a, what I think expertise in the industry now. I think what I'm seeing is a lot more professionals that are giving advice and that advice is being taken on board. So there's lots of uh, steering groups and steering committees that have got a very good mix of talent, you know, to talk about things like sustainability and the environment and, and how to, to move forward long-term. So I'd like to think, yes, I think it's definitely, and I think COVID's forced that for most, most countries, you know, for most people trying, I think if they want to, get the traveler back and get the traveler back in tip top speed, they're going to have to make sure that they can tick all the boxes for that traveler. So that traveler comes with confidence. I think one thing I will notice, uh, and I'll say here in Vietnam is also experiencing a lot of tourists in that very mature market. And I'll say mature because, you know, I speak for myself. So, you know, in, in that, you know, the, the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, and I think with COVID that market might be a little bit more careful and maybe a little bit more considerate around traveling to Vietnam until thing again, but, you know, because Vietnam has, and I travel alone 
90% of the time in Vietnam. You know, it's very safe. I've always stayed in, you know, very nice accommodations and you can get great value for accommodation in Vietnam versus, you know, many other countries. Uh, Getting around was easy. You know, there was, you know, it was just perfect for that market. But because of COVID and making sure that everyone's got that COVID protection at whatever level that is, I don't think they're going to be running through this. I think there will be more the uh, the yard heart and the heartier that will come first, the diehards second, maybe maybe close first. And I think, you know, I'd like like to think that you know what I'm trying to do with this podcast of mine is to to keep people informed about where and what Vietnam is going to look like moving forward in various places yeah I hope so too and I'm just thinking when was the last time that you were in Vietnam so you and I I think we discovered we nearly crossed paths because I left on the 19th of March, 2020. Right. Yeah, and yeah. I wasn't due to come back until the 29th. And I think I, I admitted to you, I was in denial. I was like, oh, you know, endemic, pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If they call this a pandemic, that'll be, that's just it. But my son was ringing me saying, mom, I think you really need to come home. My husband was saying, look, you know, the news over this side of the world isn't looking good. We don't want to shut you out of the country. And I'm thinking, well, the worst thing could happen is I could get stuck in Vietnam. That's not so bad. <laughs> no, for sure. But um, yeah, I had to get out, I had to come home. And it, I think, I, I mean, there was people, sorry to add this, but I was remembering about this girl and she worked for Intrepid and she was a tour guide and she was uh, Vietnamese Australian. And she was literally running to get her seat on the plane because it was packed uh, because it was one of the few planes that were coming back into Australia and she wanted to get home and get to her family, et cetera, because, you know, the, the tour company had said, we don't know when we'll need you back, so go home. Yeah, I mean, if you go back and you listen to our story, which we shared on a, a podcast way back in season three, I mean, we nearly got stranded in Australia because we were fleeing back from New Zealand and came through Australia. And when we landed in Vietnam, they took one look at our passports, which was American and, and British. And at that point, they weren't allowed in the country. And then they were like, you need to get back on the plane. And we were like, we don't live in Australia. We live here. Like our dog is here. Our life is here. We live here. And we managed to get back in, thankfully, but, but being stuck here ever since. But the reason I was asking, I mean, even in those two years since you've been here, wait till you see Saigon, the changes. I mean, we have a bridge now that's about to open that goes right into the CBD. They've just opened up the waterfront yeah. at the river. Yeah, so you, you, you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. So what, I where can't are you, wait. I can't wait. Where are you most looking forward to going to when you come back? Well, of course, you know, part of the, you know, the work I'm doing with the podcast has given me an opportunity to meet a lot of people and talk about places I haven't been. Because I don't know about you, Neil, but I haven't been everywhere in Vietnam yet. <laughs> Not yet, no. <laughs> it's, it's a big place to cover, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, I, I think one of the places I do really want to go is to the Phong Nha Caves any different a few people that are locals one who owns a, a, a homestay there and one who was one of the crew that actually discovered Dung Cave how bloody lucky was I with that wow. to, to meet him and have him on the show so I think yeah I want to go to Fongna and I think I want to do one or two days uh, into the caves and see how I go yeah no that would be amazing that's a good you one hope yeah. nobody says well Karen have you done Fongna yet no, not yet. <laughs> so have you been? No, not yet. And I keep, I keep forgetting that I just forget things exist in the world these days. I'm still stuck in Saigon for so long. Forget that there's a, a big wide world out there. So that's a good reminder. When my next question was going to be, so we talked about your podcast is one of the things you want to encourage people to come to Vietnam. You, and one of the things you said is people thinking about it or sitting on the fence about coming to Vietnam. And because of the, there is that perception, it's funny, we talked about it in the beginning. And I remember in one of the very first podcast interviews I did with Lewis Wright, 
And the question was, what's one of the biggest misconceptions about Vietnam? And it ties into what you said. He said he has family and friends back home that think he lives in rice paddies and he's just living in the, you know, they just think of rice paddies and countryside. And he's like, no, I like, I live in a big city. Like it's normal. Like there's, it's just a normal big city. And um, so people have these misconceptions of, of the war as well. And, and that we're, it's just a big countryside. So what would you tell someone thinking of coming back to Vietnam? How would you tell, why would you tell them to come here? What would you tell them? If you want a, a more quiet, tranquil getaway, there are places to go for that. If you want the, the hubbub of a city with great bars and entertainment and even a good comedy scene, I've heard <laughs> that, you know, it's got great food. It's got great restaurants. You can get, you can get that. If you want the outdoors and you want to go trekking or you want to go mountaining or you want to, you know, get some culture, like there's 54 minority groups, there's trips out to, you can, you can actually go and stay and they'll let you stay in very small groups or they'll let you stay with some of those families that, you know, that they have endeared to that tour company. So, you know, kids love it. There's stuff to do for kids. There's great beaches. There's not many places in the world that you know, you can actually sit on the beach with a, a long, cool drink and watch somebody who's parasailing or, you know, doing some really great beach stuff. I mean, it, I know I sound like a real raver about Vietnam and, and I haven't got like the right to do so, but like, I can't, I can't pick on it. I just, I go, well, okay, there's this and there's that, but every country's got that. So, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the traffic, I can remember my sister came into Saigon with me and she, she stood outside Ben 10 markets and I said, come on, we'll, we'll, we'll go and we'll grab a bowl or something or whatever. And she went, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Oh my God. You know, have I, and then I realized that maybe I had kind of desensitized yeah. myself over the last few years that, you know, obviously it wasn't in my face. I'd kind of I'd learned to embrace it, but for someone, and that's actually a good yardstick. And she hates how I always refer to her in that way <laughs> too, which I hope she doesn't listen to this, but you know, there's, there's people that it is, you know, when you step off that plane and you, you arrive into the major cities, if you thought that was all Vietnam was, you'd probably turn around, get back on and go back to where you came from. But I think if you're prepared to push through that and see it go a little bit deeper, you know, get to know the locals. They're so beautiful. They're so helpful. They're so lovely. I mean, being a Buddhist country, mainly just their attitude, just their, their kindness, their, you know, I always feel uplifted. I always think, you know, I've got a better view of human nature after I've been to Vietnam. <laughs> For some reason, I come home and think, oh, no, the world is really good. There's really good people <laughs> that do really nice things without asking for it and don't expect anything, where you get back in your own cut cutthroat country and you go, mm, yes, commercialism is alive and well here. Yeah. Not it's, that I don't love my country, by the way. <laughs> it's funny about being desensitized, like absolutely, you know, and funny what you're saying about being outside of Bin Ten markets and the traffic and I remember when, when my mom and dad came here, as I mentioned, five years ago, I was terrified that they would be so terrified and so scared of the heat and the traffic and, and the, the rubbish and the trash that they would just want to stay in their hotel room the whole time and never leave. And it couldn't have been more opposite. They couldn't have embraced it anymore. And, and it's funny as well, you, you reminded me of my first time in Hanoi trying to cross the road and my wife and I just kept taking one step forward, one step back. We were like, what do we do? We need to go. And then the next second, all I feel is this hand in my back and this little old guy just going dee, 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 dee and pushing me across the road and big smile on his face. And sure enough, you, you just get through the traffic and you get to the other side and you're like, what the hell just happened? But my last point I want to make, sometimes I forget, I get desensitized as to how lovely and beautiful Vietnamese people are like you mentioned because I've been here so long I just it's just normal to me and there are the odd moments sometimes where I think and kind of like you said you think about maybe how someone in your own country would react or some of the countries I've lived in and I'm like I 
forget Vietnamese people are amazingly lovely and beautiful people and I've had so many experiences of that and that's a shame because I get desensitized to it but just because I'm so used to it and but I do get the odd reminder about that so thank you so much Kerry this has been amazing I'm excited about tourism coming back and see how it develops I'm excited to meet you in person for the first time so hopefully you will be back sooner rather than later so before we finish up, we're going to finish with the same questions that I ask everyone at the end of this season eight. And the first one is a travel related is if you could travel anywhere for Vietnam for a week. So you're going to stay there for a week. Where would you go and why? Well, as I said, I want to go to Phong Nha, but I want to stay a week. You would I stay want there to go for a there week? And Yes, but I wouldn't, as I said, I wouldn't be caving the whole week, but I hear there's a really great community and the local community kind of gets very involved. With, and I just, I just think there's going to be a good vibe. Somebody once said it's like the old Hoi An. So I thought, well, maybe it's like that 2007 version, but I'll definitely go to Hoi An as well as I always base myself there. <laughs> Well, and just to go all the way back again, while we're talking about tourism experiences, this is kind of like the shame, right? Because when when these amazing tourist sites become over touristed, then there's the adventurers and the the early adopters, like people like you and myself, that then we try and go a bit further out to try and find something else that's unexplored or un not as touristed. But then that just contributes to this new place becoming over touristed, and it's kind of, as I said, it's a Bit of a vicious cycle. But anyway, so what advice would you give to a tourist coming to Vietnam for the first time? The best advice I give people is how much time to spend. You can fit in this and this and this and there's, oh, this is only 60 kilometers from here to here and all that. But, you know, in some places the roads aren't great. A lot of places the traffic is chaotic. And I see a lot of people trying to cram a lot in in a small amount of time. And I would think just to consider, so you can kind of breathe it in and not feel like you're, you know, you've got to get up early, you miss out on your breakfast at the hotel because you've got to get your bag out early because you've got to get on the bus and, you know, it's like, go, go, go. You don't actually get to really enjoy it. I've said to them, oh, you were in, in, in Hawaii. Did you go to such and such? Oh, there's a cute little coffee shop at such and such. Did you get to, to sit down and, you know, just sit and look at the, look at the human race go past and no, we didn't have time. We went mm. to this, we went to that, we, you know, so I think time people to plan their time out and to be realistic about, you know, the flights in between or, you know, bus travel can take a long time. Some of the trips up the north take, you know, six or eight hours in a bus. Like, you know, the train to Sapa from Hanoi is, you know, it's an overnight train. So, you know, just to manage time so that you can really enjoy it. Maybe you might have to come back a few times to, to see all the things you want to see. So this question comes up quite a lot on expat groups and the question worldwide as well. So I want to know, what do you think is the difference between an expat and an immigrant? I think uh, the difference is for an immigrant, you're, you're going with a long-term unsettling attitude. Like this is it, you know, where I think an expat is going with a maybe more indefinite plan. So the expat is going to consider what the work opportunities are going to be like, you know, what the future, but nothing fixed in, in, mm. in cement, where I think an immigrant has obviously, you know, sort of maybe already figured all that out and decided to pack up all their shadows and definitely move to stay for a more, you know, long-term, all, all no, no holes barred kind of existence. What do you yeah. think? No, I mean, I agree 100%. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I just think, cause it comes up quite often and people think it's a, a race thing and they say, oh, well, why is a white person not an immigrant? And I mean, they definitely can be like my sister's an immigrant to Australia because she immigrated there with the intention to live there forever. And that's what she'll do. So in terms of Vietnam, most white people or most people who are not from Vietnam are expats and will be for years because they can't become immigrants because 
unless they get married to a, a local person, there's no pathway to stay here. So Correct. I think it's just a thing that people like to, I don't know if it's virtue signaling, but I'm on a big rally against virtue signaling lately. And people like, like oh, well, why are expats not immigrants? It's a race thing. And it's like, no, it's just, they're, they're just not, I just don't know if they can live here forever. But anyway, I wanted to get other people's opinions on that. Last question. If Vietnam was a person, how would you describe them? Oh, I thought a lot of that question now and I wanted to get it right. But then <laughs> I thought other people are going to say the same thing. But my word is charming. No, oh, I beautiful. think Vietnam charms the pants off you. I think they are charming and I love them because they're charming. Their smiles, you know, everything about them makes mm. you and about the country makes you feel charmed. So I always feel like, I, I I wish I could put it in better words, to be honest. I just, I, I just can't help but say they are the most charming people uh, and, the, and country in Southeast Asia. Of all the Southeast Asian countries, no, I agree. Vietnamese are the most charming. I 100% agree. And I think that's a great way to describe Vietnam as a person because it, it's why people like yourself come here for a short time, like me came as well and so many other people and then they get charmed and they, they stay or they keep coming back. And it is something I agree as well. And I've mentioned this before on the show that Thailand's always got this reputation and it's, you know, this, this, the country of smiles. Is that what its tagline is again? Or what's the tagline for Thailand again? And it's, oh, Thailand, it's so beautiful. And I went there and it was like, the people didn't charm me. They, I felt a lot of them were quite rude. Maybe they just got fed up with tourism. But I didn't go to Thailand and get wowed like I, you kind of expected. But then you do come to Vietnam and you do get that like kind of wow, do you get charmed? Because as we've, as we've mentioned, the people are so nice. So no, that's a great one. I like it. So before you go, tell people more about your podcast. What about Vietnam? I'll put some links in the notes so people can follow it. Tell us all about that and, and why should people listen? Well, I hope people are going to tune into the What About Vietnam podcast because I'd like to think it's a bit of a deep dive on travel experiences. You know how you, you look at a country and you start Googling it and then you start going through the Lonely Planet stuff and the TripAdvisor stuff and, you know, it's really hard to relate to some of it. I hope the podcast is informative. I hope it tells people a lot about uh, a destination or an experience because I kind of mix it up between both. So sometimes I'll just talk about Mune, say, for example, or Hoi An, uh, but then I'll talk about cooking classes or I'll talk about river cruising or I'll talk about diving. Did you know all these great dive centers in Vietnam? Talk about trail running and how you can experience the areas in North uh, Vietnam and, you know, Dave but Lloyd, who I interviewed, said, you know, it's it's an eating fest. People run and eat at the same time. Like, <laughs> they absolutely love it. So the podcast is designed for potential travellers to have a, I have a, a transcript for each episode. So if you prefer to be a reader and read through some stuff, you can print it off. It's a PDF document. So you can, you know, highlight, get your highlighter pen and say, oh, let's do that. That, <laughs> that sounds good, whatever. And I publish every fortnight. So there's something new and, and alive happening. And as you say, in Vietnam, there's always something happening mm -hmm. around the corner. It pops up, et cetera. So, yeah, I just want people to use it as a resource to help them trip plan and get good advice. I work with a Vietnamese inbound tour operator based in Hanoi. So they're, they're used to bringing foreigners and handling foreigners and their tourism requirements in the country. So they're always my go-to on the ground to get me the right advice, not the spun advice, the, the real McCoy advice. And so, yeah, so I, I hope that my years of experience pay off for people and they can mm -hmm. use it to have a great time in Vietnam. And please feel free to reach out to me through the podcast, through my social media pages, etc. If you've got any questions, happy to answer. Awesome. Thanks, no, that is a, a really good resource because you know, I know when we were coming to Vietnam, you know, we were doing exactly what, like you said, all the TripAdvisor and so much information to get through and to to take on board so it's good to have that resource and you've got obviously got the inside knowledge of vietnam from many different people so guys make sure you check out what about vietnam podcast 
Kerry, thank you so much. And I cannot wait to finally meet you in person when, whenever those borders do open, which will hopefully be soon and you will be back here in Saigon. Thanks so much, Neil. It's been great uh, being on the show and just great to meet you, to know what you're doing in the comedy scene. That's really fantastic news. And I look forward to coming to one of your shows and, and just getting to meet you and your wife and seeing what Saigon looks like in 22. So be ready count on seeing me. I'll be, I'll be back as soon as I can get that ticket and visa matched up. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kerry. And I will see you soon. I bet. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of a Vietnam podcast by 7 Million Bites. We hope you enjoy hearing our guest stories. If you haven't already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and turn on notifications so you never miss a new episode. Thank you so much to Lewis Wright, who made the 7 Million Bikes music and continues to support us in every way. Also to our audio engineer, Luke Digweed, for making sure each episode sounds amazing for you. Also, a big thanks to the 7 Million Bikes community. Thank you so much. It's amazing to get to know you guys. It's amazing to see how much we're growing and I look forward to seeing you at our next event. You can join the community today. The link is in the description of the show. You'll get free tickets to 7 Million Bikes events, episodes before anyone else and extra special bonus content only for you and invites to special member-only events. You will also obviously be providing massive support so that we can keep sharing people's stories with you on a Vietnam podcast. Also, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And remember, we have seven seasons of stories to share with you. So check them out if you haven't already, and we hope you can listen to future episodes too so you can laugh, connect, and discover. Cheers. hope you enjoyed this episode if you're like me you may use your laptop at places where you have to use public wi-fi this opens you up to digital snoopers it's a massive problem it can be your internet service provider or you know who looking at what you do online 
or a cyber criminal trying to steal your bank passwords or credit card info, or even a hacker at the next table trying to steal your sensitive data. These days, it is vital that you keep your data safe. NordVPN keeps all of these snoopers away. It makes your internet activity private, protects you from accessing dangerous websites that are fishing for your data, and lets you enjoy your favorite content securely, even while away from home. And it's easy to use, even I could use it. I've actually been using NordVPN for years now here in Vietnam, and I'm excited to be an affiliate partner with them. I've used NordVPN to watch Netflix, BBC, Disney Plus with ease, and I also know that my information and data are safe from prying eyes, whoever they may be. Join now and you'll get 68% off and three months free when you go to my link, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. Just again, for those hard of hearing, nordvpn.com forward slash SMB. The link is also in the show notes. I know nobody checks them out, but go check that out and you can get the link from wherever you are listening to this podcast. As an affiliate partner, it also means that I will get a small commission when you sign up, but at no extra cost to you. So not only will you be getting a great deal through 7 Million Bikes, you get a great VPN and you'll be supporting 7 Million Bikes podcast. Stay safe online and enjoy the shows you love. Any questions, just let me know. You know how to get in touch with me. And thanks for listening to this show. Cheers.